0: awesome. Amen. Whew. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling the spirit right now. Oh, man. Lord, let me let me get out of the, the Holy Ghost high right now. Uh, just for you guys who don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor Ellie. I am one of the pastors on staff here at Metro Praise International. And I'm just honored. I'm really honored to be able to speak in front of this, this congregation today and just to be able to present to you uh, just a session in general, you know, our, my session is called True for Everyone, and so, like I said, I'm just honored, and I hope you guys learn a lot, especially those here who maybe have objections or who want to just go deeper into the knowledge of God, I mean, I believe that this message will will do that, and if you're here and you're a skeptic or what whatnot, I believe that it will speak to you, and it will, um, to put it. In in a bold way, it will corner you in a, in a corner and it will make you realize where you're at, you know, in your in your stance, intellectually, at least. Um, so just a real quick thing. I want to give you an understanding. Um, I all my life grew up wanting truth. I, I grew up really poor. I grew up sometimes getting evicted from houses, uh, living on the streets, living in motels and all that stuff. I grew up really poor. And because of that, and because of the way my family was set up, where they were a bunch of uh, drug abusers and whatnot, I had a lot of questions in life and towards God and so when I was 15 specifically, I was really, really desperate for God at that time. Um, I was angry with God, I had become a Satanist, I was inviting demons into my life, I was just completely whacked out. you know I was you know on downward spiral, basically and Inside, I was just so hungry for, for truth. I kept asking myself, God, where are you? What, what is, where, where are you? Seriously, what am I here for? All those like, existential questions that, you know, we posed yesterday. I was thinking of those things. And it was, it was th- I was distraught. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine living in this world and not having a purpose. I knew that there was a God. I mean, I just, I just knew. And I was just so hungry for the truth. I remember I went to a, a youth group. And uh, I was so opposed to God at the time. But, you know, at the same time, I was kind of open in my heart or whatever. But I i was wearing a pentagram uh, underneath my sweater because it was like November. I was wearing a pentagram, and I had a shirt that said, Beware of God. I didn't talk to anybody. I was just like, I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just really, like, unapproachable. But the message was amazing because even in that time, it touched my heart. It said, This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Uh, off of the, the Switchfoot song. And, oh, my gosh, I – this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to think about this. I I hate God. I hate my life, but I want God. And I, you know, <laughs> so I was confused, obviously, right? Like a teenager was, obviously. I want to say that I want to give you a, a caveat for before this session starts, and it's this: is that this topic is very technical in, in generality because it's very abstract. Uh, it can be very difficult to understand what we believe and how we believe it when we're talking about it that way. So I just want to give you the caveat, and uh, just in case I say a word or a phrase and you don't know exactly where I'm going with, I have a glossary in the section, in your notes. So there's a, a bunch of good, there's a bunch of good words there for you and all that. Maybe I won't use all of them. Like for instance, I know that I won't use uh, reification today. So just you know, take it at its value and then just you know munch on it afterwards. So now we're going to start the, the session. And I, I want to just really quickly uh, do a little philosophical dance here with you guys. Uh, session two is called True for Everybody, and our conference is Truth Is. So obviously that sounds kind of like, duh, truth is true for everybody. But you see, the thing is, is that we're not going to just say uh, truth in this, uh, just general term and whatnot. We want to define it in a very specific way to, to you guys today. And uh, when uh, we were coming up with this, we really just felt this this phrase here was what we were just feeling, you know, facts corresponding to God's created order and his revelation in scripture. So, you know, if you are like me, whenever you get into like a, a conversation and somebody lies to you, you're like, I want the truth now. Give me the truth. Well, we're not talking about that kind of truth, obviously. We're talking about a more universal truth, like how Pastor Jared was talking about yesterday. Not just particulars, but the universal truth. What is the universal truth? And we believe it is facts corresponding to God's created order and his revelation in Scripture. Isn't that powerful? We're already already distinguishing what we believe truth is. That's it. God's created order, general revelation, his revelation in Scripture, special revelation. So we believe these things... Are are the realities of existence. The realities of what truth is. And that's why we're defining that right now. It's our introduction. So now moving on, we're gonna go to our open tec- opening text. And an opening text, is very short, and very sweet, and it's simple. Isaiah forty five nineteen B. And uh, in scholarly circles, sometimes, and even sometimes in uh, you just if you're studying whatnot, whenever you wanna take a scripture verse and it's just one verse and if you want to do like half of it that's why you do an a or b sometimes you even get to c's or, or d's if it's a really long thing but isaiah 45 19b i the lord speak the truth i declare what is right that is the lord right there he's already saying something that he's he's saying to you look i don't speak lies i'm not deceitful I'm not trying to swindle you into believing to me. I'm not trying to make you my, my simple slave for the sake of being a slave. No, I'm sp- I speak the truth. I speak not what is just, uh, uh, you know, acceptable. I speak what is right, what is good. That is what right is. What is good, what is right. The, the correct thing to do. He speaks what is right. Now, since this is an apologetics conference, I want to give you a case study and this case study is going to be difficult, because it was posed to me in a difficult way. When I was doing my studies in, in uh, seminary, uh, it was it was pretty difficult to to read it and whatnot. And um, I can guarantee you right now that there is an answer to this, and it's an answer that we all believe. But I'm not going to give the answer to you right now. You can ask me afterwards. But this is just a case study, okay? And I want to pose this to you in such a way that it's going to make like make you think what what about truth? Where's truth in this? You know, I thought we were talking about the Lord is speaking truth. What about in Acts where it says there is no, uh, no name given under heaven by which men can be saved except through Jesus Christ, right? That's paraphrasing it. But this case study is on true pure land Buddhism. And the question that was posed to me is, is salvation by grace through faith unique to Christianity? That's the question. So I want to give you four little points for true Pure Land Buddhism. And if if you see your notes right there, there's a little uh, line that you can fill that in. The first point is, Shinran, and he was basically a, a, I would say, like a philosopher or whatnot, like a person who was continuing on with Buddhism. Shinran insisted that no one on earth had a true and sincere heart, and the age had become so evil that no amount of religious activity could suffice. He was basically alluding to depravity. Number two, And I'm sorry if I say these things the wrong way. Maybe you guys know somebody who's Buddhist or something like that. I apologize. I do not speak these words natively. So the tariki or other power refers to the power of Amida who can bring salvation to the world. Number three. Through a singular in-faith declaration of the Nimbitsu, one would receive the gift of salvation from Amida. So... And this is important because in another form of Buddhism, what they do, and you probably know some guys maybe in your, in your history or whatnot, that they do a constant repetition of the Nimbitsu, constantly saying the name, Omra, oh, da, Omra, da. You can actually look it up on YouTube, and it's just like this constant thing. And, th- and these people do it all day for you know people like, let's say, like the monks and whatnot. So they do it all day for hours on end, saying the same word over and over and over and over and over again in hopes that they will receive salvation. But Shinran was unique in that he said that you all you need to do is have one declaration, but you have to do it in faith. You have to believe that Shinran uh, will, uh, uh, Amida will give you salvation. So that's unique to true Pure Land Buddhism. And number four, for Shinran, grace means unmerited grace, or it is no grace at all. So you can't earn grace. You can't work it out for yourself. It's difficult. Isn't it? Right now I bet you you're a little uncomfortable right now. You're like, whoa, is is the Bible wrong now? Is what is truth then? I want you to be in this position right now because like I said, this is an apologetics conference and most of the time when you are doing apologetics and you don't know the answer right away, you will feel uncomfortable. Just how Jared was talking about yesterday where well he kept it real. He said when I was talking to a Muslim I felt really stinking you know, like convinced almost in a sense. Now, when I was reading this, I was like, no, I don't believe this at all. And there's a, there are more than enough adequate answers to all these things, and because I'm not y- giving you the full spectrum of what each of these means, so I just want you to let you know that, okay? Don't feel uncomfortable. I want you to trust me in this journey that we go together, right? But is truth then, is it able to cross uh, cultural boundaries, and is it then, you know, translated into different religions then? So is Islam really kind of true? Is Buddhism really true? I mean, it's kind of hard to sometimes defend against Buddhism, isn't it? Because they don't really have anything wrong with them. This is pretty difficult. See, I'm putting you guys there. I see I see bunch of you guys. You guys are like, uh, I don't like this. Let's go back to worship. <laughs> but the, the Lord says that he desires worshippers in spirit and in truth, okay? So we get our Shika Boomba on, and then we learn. Amen. people have been questioning truth for the longest time and ironically we here at the church well obviously we believe that Jesus is the author of truth that God is the author of truth he, he himself is truth and this is so ironic in this scripture verse right here in John 18 36 through 38 this this is just so ironic right here John 18 36 through 38 says Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the jewish leaders But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to uh, testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. But Pilate uh, retorted, what is truth? With this, he went on again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against them. Everybody on the side of truth listens to me. He testifies to the truth. So obviously, there's, there's something that Jesus is saying there. Pilate, with a different worldview, different understanding of what truth is and, and whatnot. What is truth? Questioning. He doesn't even know. He doesn't. And ironically, he's talking to the author of truth. He's talking to God who created everything. He created himself, who knows every single hair on his head. He's talking to that person right there. That's, isn't that so funny? But obviously, so truth obviously is a little difficult to to grasp then. So we have to put it in the proper context. We have to understand why we believe what we believe. And with this, I want to introduce you to worldviews. And I want to give you some foundational definitions. Now, we probably, you've heard it plenty of times in this church before. And uh, for the most part, you know, when you go into college or even to a a Bible college, they have good intentions to build your worldview. And sometimes, you know, there's direct ways to do that, and sometimes there's indirect ways to do that. It happens all the time. But worldviews, and I want to make this very clear, are so important because you operate in your worldview 24-7. You operate in it. You don't even know it. You don't even think about it. It's so second nature to you. But you operate in your worldview. So what is a worldview? This is where we're going to get semi-technical. Like I said, I apologize, but you can watch the recording again if you need to. A worldview is a network of presuppositions untested by natural science and in light of which all experience is interpreted. So in that sense, we don't we with our worldview, we can't test by science our worldviews. It's just something that we bring to the table before we even do anything. It's something that we when we look at the evidence. Uh, we say, this is water, and another person says, well, yes, but this is Aldi's water, or something like that, you know? It's w- w- how we differentiate from one point to another. People always bring different things to it. What is a presupposition, if you're asking that question? Is It is our most basic beliefs about reality. They are the rules of interpretation that we assume at the outset before any investigation of evidence. For example, reliability of senses. You have a presupposition when you're doing a science test that you can see correctly throughout the whole entire time you're doing it, that you're you're remembering everything correctly because your brain is working the right way. It's a reliability. You are assuming that. But why do you assume that? You see, where you d- you can't even have the answer to that question unless we talk about worldviews. How do you assume that you have reliability of senses through the, your worldview? And I want to give you a good context now for how world views take place. I just was giving you a few examples, but I want to give you a good context. So I want you to see up in the screen, the culture iceberg, ooh. Let's all pretend that we're the penguin and we're just on for the ride right now, okay? What is, what is the one like basic fact that everybody knows about icebergs? They look big from the top, but rea- in reality, they're much bigger on the bottom. So the culture iceberg, so if you go to the next slide, the, the surface level of culture, the surface level of what we see is called the surface level of culture, I'm sorry. And you see there's multiple parts to this iceberg, but the top part is so simple, what we see, what we are experiencing called the surface level, it's just popular culture, you know, pop culture. It is what's on your Wheaties box. It is when you turn on your radio, it is, uh, you know, what you believe, what, like some classes you take in, in college, you know, like Beatles, like the Beatles class that you took in college or whatever, you know, if you guys have ever done that. I've heard of some crazy things like that. And actually, I was reading a textbook the other day. This is so funny. But I was reading the textbook the other day that quoted Tupac. <laughs> I was like, clearly, I don't, they, they, they don't understand worldviews here. I'm not going to want to read this book after this, but... And like, they did like a proper citation of from his album and all that, Tupacalypse Now. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't care what I, <laughs> what? It's not a credible source. <laughs> but that is uh, surface level culture. You see, so in our culture, how we're talking about worldviews, it's not like, that is just simply what we experience in day-to-day life. Uh, and a good question that r- resonates with surface level culture is what is done. You know, what is done, exactly. The second level, the more getting deeper now and not underneath the water, things that we can't normally see, is the intermediate level of culture. And this is where our meanings come from, our norms, our values. So for instance, why is it that certain like, uh, men specifically hang out with certain men after social functions? Because it's a norm, most of the time, you know in other cultures, it's more acceptable to hang out with women sometimes in other cultures it's completely taboo you have to be separated from them even when you're eating even when you're in in a congregation many times like in the Middle East that's a very big norm you can't be like that you can't be in the middle with women and all that that's a norm and it's a value in itself certain words that we take their their tr- their meanings are different in different cultures why because that's just the way it is in their in their sense they have different worldviews as we're going to get to that point in a few seconds. A good question to ask there is what is good or best. That is the question that correlates with the intermediate level of culture. Going in deeper now, very deep, is our beliefs and traditions. This is kind of like now where we get into like the home aspect, what you were raised to believe in. Why did you believe it? Why did your mom believe it? Most of the time, it'll be because, oh, because my grandmother, you know, she was Roman Catholic, or because of things like that. You have traditions based off of things like that. Many times, even though um, in our culture, for instance, there's a lot of people who believe in abortion, and uh, a lot of people who don't. A lot of people who don't are simply just because they were raised, like let's say, Catholic or something like that, and they just don't believe it's right. They just, they just don't. Even though it's not popular to them, even though it's not the most best thing for them to do. They still feel it inside, deep down inside somewhere. They're like, I just can't resonate with that. And that why? Because it's really deeply enrooted into who they are as a person. It's in their deep level culture. And finally, and just uh, before we go to that point, that, that good question that resonates with that is what is true. What we learn in culture, what is true. And finally, our basis, the worldview what is real so you see all these eventually start to come up to the front to the top and as they go to the top they influence the way that we view things the way that we experience things so back in the day and they say in the fifties what was the fifties like it's completely different than it is now now you have lady gaga now you have the norms of the society where you can see a woman completely almost naked and whatnot on a music video and whatnot. Why is that okay? The reason why is because our worldviews have been shifted. They have been changed from what was once Christianity to now a much more provocative, much more liberal worldview. Obviously not Christian anymore. And so because of that, like I said, now we see it, now we feel it. When you talk to somebody now and they're, they're completely influenced by it now, I mean, you can go ahead and you can bring evidence against them. You can say, well, this is wrong. This is in the Bible. And it's only so deep to them because they still have it even deeper inside of their and themselves. It's just resonating so deep within them. So having said that, I want to now go to our main, just our main parts in this session with number one. Number one is God's view of the world is the absolute view. So, you know, we're talking about worldviews, and obviously, you know, we're thinking about, like, okay, it's just the way I view the world. It's the way I view culture. It's the way I view uh, everything, you might say. But before we even get to that point, I want to say that if God is real, and and I know God is real, obviously, but if God is real, then he obviously created things in a specific way for a specific reason, and he would know then what the world is about, That is basically the the most point, the biggest point I want to say. If you are wondering what absolute is, absolute means perfect or complete or pure. Complete and without restriction or qualification. So God's view of the world is perfect, God's view of the world is complete, God's view of the world is pure. Isn't that interesting? I mean, because when we look at it any other way, we kind of try to downplay God, or I know better than God. But you don't have the perfect view of the world. You don't know every single nuance of the world or every single detail of the world. It's impossible for you. You're only so limited. You're a finite creature, aren't you? I mean, unless everybody here knows everything there is to know about everything, I would like to talk to you. But, you know I mean? I'm pretty (laughs) sure no one knows. Not only am I pretty sure, I know no one knows everything, okay? Except there's some teenagers around because they know everything, <laughs> and I felt that way when I was a teenager too. I was like, I know everything. I know the way of things, Mom. <laughs> uh, so there's so many um, young, young children in our church, and so you know I can imagine like 10 years down the road when everyone's a teenager, how it's gonna be. It's gonna be so fun a scripture verse I want to start building this case God's view of the world is perfect who God is Revelation 22:13 and it says I am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Here God is declaring it again he's saying look when you think there's a beginning I am him and when you think there's an end I am him alpha the beginning the first God is, God is marvelous. He is wonderful. He's beyond our understanding. And even when we think of the beginning, our definition of the beginning, it's still not the definition of what God's beginning is. It, he doesn't have a beginning. He's just eternal. As long as you can think behind yourself, as far back it's still not enough. Eternal. Eternity. That's a head and scratcher right there. About Job 38, verse 1 through 7. Your Job was experiencing hardship and questioning God. And in in this scripture verse, the Lord kind of puts him in his place. But he says things that are remarkable. He says things that are so impactful to our culture today, and we, we don't even understand how powerful this God is, and yet well, sometimes we downplay him, we, we take away from him, and we say, oh, well, then you know what, like, just because now I know some science now, I know some the basic fundamentals, I know physics, I know all this now, I can, you know, point my finger at you, God, and say, I don't need you anymore. But there's so much more beyond those things that we don't even know. Look. Job 38, verse 1 through 7 says, The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On where was its footing set? Who laid its cornerstone?' While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. Were you there? Were you there? When Did you see me do it? Did you see me actually create it? Did you see me in the process of putting the, you know, the, as the spirit was hovering over the waters? Did you see me in how I divided land from sea? Did you see me do all those things? No, you didn't. You don't know the processes of which I did these things. These are supernatural, obviously. It's hard for us to, to imagine these things. And finally, John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is powerful. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This is so weighty. It has so many theological implications. We understand that God is declaring himself as the truth. He's declaring himself as the life. You say you have life. You don't have life until you have Jesus. You don't have truth until you actually found it on Jesus. You say, I know some truth, but that itself is still founded on through biblical principles. We're going to talk about that in a few seconds. But Jesus is the answer to all of Jesus himself is the fulfillment of all those. He is the originator of all those. Isn't that amazing? Okay, another warning. It's going to get pretty technical right here, okay? But I just want th- i want this to be very simple, you know what I mean? Because uh, when I was learning it, it was very difficult. It was very abstract. So I just want to break it down in a way that is really just, you know, like, I can get it. So now that we're moving on from the scripture verse, I want to point out that the Only the Bible, or God's word God's truth, provides the preconditions for intelligibility of man's experience and reasoning. Basically, the preconditions for understanding our experience or understanding the reasoning that we have behind the world and whatnot. You've probably heard this before sometimes in uh, in our services and whatnot. And I want to really hit on these because these are so important. Only the Bible explains absolute morality. The principles concerning a distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. So that's what morality is. Uh, just so, you, if you want, like a basic, very little, like definition of what it is: principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and b- bad behavior. If God created us, He has the right to set the rules. Otherwise, why not make our own rules? So, in our understanding, I'm pretty sure you've ever noticed it before. But sometimes you don't do the things that you want to do, right? I mean, I've I've had a lot of. Impulses before in my life where I just wanted to like just smack somebody right next to me or, something or whatever, you know. Um, I've worked for people that I was like, oh man, this guy's like really getting on my nerves today or whatever. But I didn't because I had morality. And even before when I was like when I wasn't saved, I, I always had like a restraining from doing something that I didn't want to I, I, like I wanted to do. Like, do I really want to go that far right now? It's like, no, I, I shouldn't. You know, I I can't. It's not only just unacceptable socially, but it's just something about it just wrong just had that feeling of wrong you know Where did I get that from? the Bible the Bible gave that. and so if you today are skeptical of this if you're skeptical of about God in general, where do you get your morality from? And uh, we're gonna I'm gonna put that a little bit I'm gonna press that issue a little bit uh, more in just a few seconds but it's a really hard question to answer and uh, honestly if you can't answer it right now, and if you try to study it and whatever, and as we talked about yesterday, we'll talk about it later in a later session. There's not going to be a real answer her, for it for you through evolution or through you know agnosticism. There has to be an answer, otherwise we're just left with this gaping question: Why do I have morality? Why? What is there, Why do we do things the way we do in our culture? Why is it just because it's socially it, it builds our society in a such a way? It doesn't matter. S- if it's actually true, if evolution is true, then it doesn't matter whatever we do. What, ma- what matters is that I get to live, and it takes whatever it takes, I'll do it. If I have to bonk Elliot on the head of a rock, I will do that, okay? If I have to steal Elliot's 17 wives because he has 17 wives at the moment, and it benefits me, I can do it. Because that's what evolution would say, wouldn't it? You guys are like, this guy's crazy, man. Well, we see we have morality, we function in morality, but why? We presuppose morality. Why is that? B, laws of logic. Laws of logic are our standard of reasoning. These are a reflection of the way God thinks and the way he expects us to think. They stem from God's nature since he is logical. So God is not uh, just a force. He's not random. He has plans. He has pr- purposes. He's logical. He goes from point A to point B. and he, He's just like that. That's just his nature. He's not, like I said, chaos. He's not a chaotic God that is just in the He doesn't know what to do. So he has, that's the way he thinks, and that's how we get it. Because we are created in the image of God, now we're supposed to think logically as well. Guess what? We all presuppose logic, don't we? They are... Immaterial, universal, invariant, and they are abstract entities which govern all possible conceptual relationships. I see, like I think I lost some guys here in, in the in the congregation. I see some some heads are like, "What is going on now?" He's talking about abstract entities that are invariant. But that's what laws of logic are, you can't touch them, you can't accidentally swallow a law of logic. You can't, you're not you know, walking down the street and then you walk into a law of logic. Oh, hey, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you doing, Ellie? <laughs> I just want to let you know that you're doing things my way. Okay, good. You know, it, it's not like that. It's just, we, like I said, we presuppose it. We want to think logically. So, a perfect example would be, you wake up, you're going to go to work. What is your process when you're going to work? Brush your teeth, you get ready. You don't walk out of your house naked. You're know, like, this is logical, you know? <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you doing today? That's not logical. Now, in some cultures, you think it might be, okay? Whatever, but. I want to give you some examples of the law, laws of logic. There are just three uh, basic laws. The first one is the law of identity. Here's some technical stuff P is P, the law of non contradiction. P is not non P and the law of excluded middle, either P or non-P. See, you guys, (laughs) I see some of you guys are like, what? But no, no, but seriously, think of it this way. The law of identity, Ellie is Ellie. okay? That's logical. The law of non-contradiction, P is not non-P, so I just want to put this in a way, but you guys are basically getting what I'm saying, right? Amen? Okay, okay, good. Let's move on to point C, the uniformity of nature. Now, the uniformity of nature is very important to science, to technology today, and like I said, it's something that we presuppose. It's something that scientists presuppose. So it's so funny how, you know, they want to disprove God, but then if they disprove God, disprove the Bible, then they have no foundation for what they talk about then. They don't have the, the ability to really hone down on what they're, what they're saying. The laws of nature are consistent over time and space. The future is similar to the past in this respect. So al- operational science assumes this presupposition. Do you ever wonder why, um, for instance, when you wake up in the morning, i am keep, keep going back to this example, when you wake up in the morning. We all do, right? We always kind of say when you wake up in the morning. But when you wake up in the morning, uh, you don't just fly to your ceiling or, for instance, when you wake up in the morning and you go to your car or you go on a bus, when you walk on the bus, the, the bus doesn't transform into uh, a mushroom or something like that. Why doesn't it do that? <laughs> You're thinking to yourself, that's pretty logical, Ellie. I mean, come on. Like, it's just the way the world is. You see, that's the whole point. The world is this way because God created it this way. He did it in a specific person, uh, p- purpose. Genesis 8.22 and Colossians 1.17. G- Genesis 8.22 specifically talks about him keeping seasons in order. He's keeping things in order. And Colossians 1.17 says that Christ upholds everything. So if evolution were true or if we were taken away from, from our biblical worldview, what would be the truth then? The truth would be that we have a, a random chaos universe where big bangs are happening all the time, where random things are, are happening, where species are transforming to other species all the time, wouldn't it be the case? Now you might say well that's going to take millions of years. That's going to take yada yada. But no, I've actually heard, I've li- talk, I've listened to uh, scientists talk about how, in the quantum level, it should be possible after about a thousand tries for you to walk through a wall. Be- just because it's possible, just because in the random, because we live in the random chaos of the universe, it should be possible theoretically. I want to see them try that though. I want to see them go a thousand times into the wall. Okay, take 972. All right, we're getting there, closer, come on. It's, gonna be, it's about to be a thousand times. I know it's gonna happen right now. I believe right now. You see, w- why? But we presuppose, again, uniformity of nature. We believe that the things that are, are happening today uh, are gonna happen tomorrow. We believe that they've happened before in the past. We believe that, for instance, like I said, laws of gravity, laws of gravity are consistent in our day and age. Why? because God said they would be. So if God's view of the world is true, if it's the most absolute view, then in a logical conclusion, in a cogent way, number two, man cannot decide what is true. Simple. Because God is the author, because God is the, the declarer, he is the, the beginner, he's the, uh, he's the person who's setting aside the laws How is that possible? Then that we can say, no, God, that is not true. You know, I'll just tell you right now how it's possible. Through pride. That's what it is. Through pride, we say to God, no. Simple. We say to God, this is not true. It's whatever I want to be true will always be true. Uh, You know, it's relative. Some people even want to go as far as relativism and say all things are truth or, you know, what's true for me is true for me and it, it might not be true for you, okay, and it's so absurd, it's most absurd like logical thing, it, it's, not, it's not even logical at all, it's just absurd. You can, just by a simple word play, you can say to them, is that an absolute statement? They might say, oh, no, well no, or something like that, because it's just so absurd. You can't, you cannot take away from the actual truth. What it is, is just denial, that's all it is. Just because you say, no, I don't accept your truth, I make my own truth, if you guys ever watch uh, Mythbusters, it says, you know, I don't accept your reality your as reality, such my own or whatever. Th- it's just, it's ridiculousness. It's impossible. It's impossible to hide the truth. The Bible even says that people suppress the truth. That's what's happening, actually. They're suppressing the truth, and they're just kind of tucking it under the rug as if it's like some dust in your house. I'm just tucking the truth under the rug, and I'm going to live however I want to live in the moment, or I'm going to believe whatever I want to believe because it's convenient. And why does that happen? And then on top of that, then we get the attacks on Christianity. We get attacks on, oh, you don't believe in science. You don't believe in all these things. I believe in science. I believe in science more than you do, actually, because I know the foundations for science. I know why we believe why I believe. I know why when I do a test today, it will be the same The test, you know, on Friday. I believe those things because of the uniformity of nature. I believe that I can logically understand the conclusions because of my brain, because of the logic that God put in my brain. And on top of that, if I find something you know catastrophic in my findi- findings, I'm, I have ethics, I have morality. I'm not going to just take it and go out and do some crazy things with it, you know. Obviously, some people in the past have done that, like the atom bomb or whatever. But you know, atom bomb was beneficial for us in, the, in the one sense and whatnot. It's so controversial, though, right, when we find things like that, when we do things that crazy. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. So man, today, you who who stands in in the seat of our apologetics conference. Do not be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. What is philosophy? Well, if you want to look in the the glossary in the back, it says specifically the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence. This consists of metaphysics, epistemology, and axology. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive uh, explanations of existence, explanations of truth. Don't don't let people do that to you. Don't let people take you away from the actual truth in the Bible and actual truth of what God says. Which depends on what? On human tradition. Another way to even look at it, on demonic influence. You want to talk about Islam, we want to talk about all these things. A lot of these religions were brought up through demonic influence. And a man sitting down thinking to himself, I am my own God, and I'm gonna make my own thing up right now. So that's what happened. Human tradition. Demonic influence, see, and uh, elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. What are the elemental spiritual forces, demonic influences, rather than on Christ? So don't let it happen to you. Don't think to yourself, "I can decide what is true and what is not true." You have to discover truth in Christ. That is simple. You can't make it up for yourself. We all can make. We all can have make-believe things, all right? But that's not the truth. Um, and my family, specifically my mother, you know, she was. She was basically raised Roman Catholic and whatever. But she came to America in the 70s, I believe, when she was like a teenager. And so she got into all that hippie stuff, man, I'm telling you. And uh, a lot of times when we were talking about God and whatever, you know, she she has the, 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 the biblical understanding of God. But then you c- here comes the Eastern philosophy things. Okay, but, you know, you know I like to meditate as well and all that stuff in these ways. And then there was one time when I was a teenager that we were talking and she was, like, so, like, upset, like, and she was, like, listen, okay, I believe in God so much that if there wasn't a God, I would make a God with my thoughts. I was, like, thank you. I love your Mom. Okay? <laughs> but that's not, that's, it's not possible to do that, okay? You can't create your own truth. There is absolute truth. God's wisdom. In Proverbs 1, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Isn't that just so, so ironic? Look at that. Even w- Just the beginning itself, we have to fear the Lord. We have to acknowledge the Lord. And that is the beginning of our knowledge. But we've taken that away from our, our culture. We've taken that away from our worldview. We don't believe anymore in that. We believe whatever we want to believe. Whatever's convenient. Hedoism. I do whatever I want to do. I like to feel whatever I like to feel. I like to do drugs. I like to go out to party. I like to do all these sorts of things. Or I- if you're not that crazy into it, I just want to s- buckle down and do, I want to make my family however I want to make my family with my rules, my, my beliefs, and that's just the way I want it. No God. No religion. Just my way. My beliefs. Which is ironic, because if they're going to become a good person, what is good? God's good. God is the originator of good. So you see, foundationally, our our presuppositions are so important. And everybody presupposes something like that. It presupposes the biblical worldview. Now, another, another chart here. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. I just wanted to give you guys charts. This I want to call the, the organic three-tier view on reality, and uh, uh, the reason why I, I put in quotations "organic" is because there can be a mechanical three ver- three-tier view on reality, which is more about founded on Eastern philosophies, Eastern religions, and whatnot. So, if you want to talk to me about that later, or you know, you can even ask Joe about it. You can, you know, talk. You can um you can bring it up in the Q and A section, and we'll just let you know what what uh, how eastern philosophies eastern religions view reality but in our view in our western view obviously we believe in a more organic thing which is that our reality is based off of religion supernatural experiences and science the top one is going to be religion the second one is going to be supernatural experiences and the third one's going to be science because I, i have a few questions there for you in the notes I want you to know which one is one and two and then three. But a top one, religion. So if you think of it this way, if we go down the list, religion then explains supernatural experiences and it explains science. And it gives us our understanding, our foundation. As I said earlier, it gives us our preconditions for intelligibility. So what is what is religion, God and God's word? What are supernatural experiences that we view in today's modern world. We view demons, we view magic, we view uh, in our church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How is that explainable? That's not scientific. I mean, we can't explain that really. And yet it happens. It happens at a spiritual level in science. Things that we directly observe by our senses. we uh, Knowledge based on experimentation and observation or empiricism. You see, so Religion, then, God's truth, will then give us answers to why we experience things like demons. It will give us an understanding of that. Well, demons, are why Why do they exist? Because they are fallen angels, and they are here to try to pervert God's way, God's God's truth in our society, in our world. Uh, how can we explain science? Well, God created a world that's logical, that's cogent. He created a world that we can observe things and ex- experience things so that we can take care of the world better. You know, that's what the Bible says to Uh, to take to be fruitful and multiply now if we go the opposite way though if we try to build from science on up what happens there's a disconnect there because then our own experiences cannot give us ultimate truth they can only be then guesses or theories so science then has to guess why are demons I don't I don't know let's make up a weird little device that you know sounds like white noise and all that let's put that let's make that little device you know? Well, what about religion? It's just a myth. It's just a fairy tale. You see? So you have science then going up and it's from, from the third tier up, it just becomes a theory. But if you go from religion down, then it, what is it? It's reason. It's an answer. We get answers from God's truth. He gives us our understanding. That's how we view the world. That's That's the reality that we have. So man can't decide then on the th- top tier what exactly it is. Yeah, we can disprove certain things like, um, for instance, you know, like the, the Greek mythology of all these different gods and there's, you know, the, the god of the sea and then Titans and then Krakens in the, the sea and all that stuff. We, we can't really, no. Okay, but we can, we can do much better than that with our logical worldview, our biblical worldview, which explains the world around us, which gives us a really th- solid foundation for what we view Lastly, point number three. The truth can set you free or condemn you forever. Now, you see, this is a church that believes in the gospel, okay? So I'm sorry that you came to this church if you think that you're going to get preached to right now, but you are going to get preached to right now. Because of God's truth, I know, like I said, it, it was pretty abstract, really technical stuff, and if you felt like, I mean, I, I, there's so much to this, I want to learn more about this, again, ask in the Q&A. Ask in, you know, uh, ask me later. I'll give you resources. I'll give you all these different things. But the truth is presented before you. God created the world, and it is the most relevant to the world that we experience today okay i don't know what world you're viewing you're living in okay i don't know Salvador wakes up and then he he's actually not a man anymore he's a you know he's like this weird creature and then he gets to work and he's even another different creature and all that and he doesn't believe in logic and he doesn't have absolute morality I I don't believe that Salvador is living like that. I believe Salvador wakes up in a world that is still rotating, and he goes to work. He has a logical conclusion that he has to take care of his family, and he has morality. He won't slap his coworker when his coworker says something to him. Right? That's the world that's relevant to him. It explains his world. The truth is set before us. Can I get a, a pianist up on the keys, please? Jeremiah seven twenty-eight says. Therefore, say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Isn't that a sad thing? Don't you believe that is what's happening in our culture today, in our society today? Truth has perished. Now it becomes so relative. Now it becomes so, you know, opinionated to any person who wants to say whatever they want to say. Oh, you, you believe this? Okay, well, you come on up here. Teach us now. There's no absolute truth. Now you can say, oh, no, no. You're you're so close-minded now that you believe that. You're so close-minded now that, you know, you want to get married, that you want to do things the right way. You're so close-minded. It does not obey the Lord. And God, what has God done? He has sent correction. He has sent people of revival. He has sent prophets to the nations. He has sent prophets in America, above all places. America has such a great theological atmosphere for, you know, we have such great academia. We have all these scholars, all these, you know, universities, Bible colleges and whatnot. Our culture is plummeting. All the time we go on. On the streets here at MPI, we go on the streets and we explain to people the truth of God. Just walk by. That's I don't care about that. That's not for me. Of course, it's for you. You live in this, you function in this. This is true for everyone. God's truth is true for everyone. The truth is true for you, sir. You cannot walk away from it. You cannot say to yourself, no, I don't want it. It will be there. It will be underneath your bed. Okay, It will be the monster under your bed if you want it to be that. Because it's going to be there. It's going to be constantly around you. It's going to be around in your whole life. And if you just you know, sear your conscience away and say, I don't want to listen to it. I will never, ever choose God. It will be in the back of your head be the person who comes to you and says the right thing and you have no real answer, no foundation for that. Daniel 9 verse 13 says, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. people who study culture, study people, anthropologists and uh, sociologists, they all kind of come to the conclusion that America definitely is on a down, downward spiral. Not just because of the finances, but just because in general, culturally, it's just going down. Disaster has come upon us. We accept homosexuality as in, in marriage. We accept abortions as it's okay. We accept all sorts of things, and in a sense, we're just killing ourselves. Disaster has come upon us. And yet, we have not sought the favor of the Lord God. We've, we haven't turned from our sins. We haven't given attention to his truth. We don't see people in Congress coming up to, to the, a pastor and saying, just tell us what we should do. Nope. It doesn't happen that way question I want to pose to you is, have you forsaken God and his truth? John eight thirty one to 33 says, the Jews who had believed them, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered and we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus was saying, you guys are slaves. You guys are slaves to sin. You guys are slaves to your own devices. You guys are slaves to your own corrupted worldviews. And What you need to do is come back. Come back to the author of truth. If you hold to my teachings, what I've taught, what I've explained here in the New Testament, connected with the Old Testament, if you hold to those teachings, if you, if you know them, then you are my disciples and you know the truth. The truth will set you free. Your life will be back in alignment. I'll give it back in corrected order. It'll feel so you'll feel so in purpose, in alignment with God. I remember all my life wanting to just do what God wanted me to do. I didn't I didn't know. You know, I was just so lost. And then when I started learning about worldviews, when I started allowing God to change me and to let me know his will, I felt so in purpose with my life. Gosh, this is it and I saw the world finally for what it was and I understood all of the, the travesties that are happening and I knew the answers for every one of them it's like it's Jesus Jesus is the answer to these things Jesus is the answer to the turmoil that's happening everywhere we want to know why is it that children are growing up the way they're growing up. Because they don't have Jesus. Because we're forsaking God. Because we've said, no, God, I don't want you in my school. No, God, I don't want you in my government. No, God, I don't want you in my household or in my life. But God will set you free. He will set you free. Romans 8 uh, Romans 1, verse 18 through 20 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. You today are without excuse. You know that there is a God. Everybody here knows that there is a God. And just because maybe you might uh, not believe in him, or if your friends, for instance, they don't believe in him, at least they acknowledge God is a concept or he exists in that sense. But we see we go even one step further, and the Bible makes it one step further. Everything in order, everything in the general revelation just screams God designer, here's a designer look at you today, you're not you don't look the same as a banana you don't look the same as an, a monkey you don't look the same, you are different you have rationality, you have a mind you are over all of, of creation that's you it speaks it speaks of God and now, you're a excuse God says that He his wrath has been revealed from heaven against the, all the godlessness all the godlessness. People who are suppressing the truth say no. I implore you today, if you know somebody who is lost or somebody who doesn't want Jesus in their life, to rethink of this. Rethink of this, of, of the, their whole entire world. Truth is true for everyone, isn't it? It explains the world the best. And every single aspect that attacks on Christianity actually has to use Christian ground in order for it to even attack it. It makes no sense how people are doing it. They don't even see beyond it. This is why it's so powerful. I hope today that you are equipped. Our closing text is just an elaboration of our opening text. Isaiah 45, 18-19 says, For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. If all you, everybody can stand to their feet, we're just gonna pray right now. It seems so simple when you really get a grasp of it. But God is the originator of our faith. God is an originator of everything that we see and how we even are able to do science, to do anything. Let's pray. Father God, We, if we have forsaken your truth, if we have forsaken anything of, of your reality, God, we repent, God. We're not in a make-believe. We're not just having imaginations of religion, God. We're not just having imaginations of anything, God. What we're doing is we're adhering to your truth. How facts correspond to the realities. How facts correspond to your created order, God. We are just responding to it, Lord. And we're saying, God... Would you please, would you please just come in and touch us, God? Would you please just open our eyes, open our minds so that we can understand you deeper, God? Let us see the truth, God. Let us be able to walk in the truth, God. Let us be able to operate in the truth, Lord. It's by you, God, that we're able to do it, Lord. If If you weren't real, then we wouldn't even be here, Lord. But We're here today, we have rational minds, God. the altars at the moment. I just want to get the, the prayer workers to come up to the altar. And this altar calls it to be simple. If you yourself haven't received Christ as your, your Lord and Savior, if you want to adhere to the truth of God, then these men and women up here will pray for you. Or if you know people in your life that you're witnessing to or evangelizing to and you're having a difficult time just doing it, and you see them so stubborn, so stuck in their ways, I want you to come up and receive prayer for them as well, okay? Because I I just believe today that the Lord is moving in this place. And the truth is God wants to touch you. He wants to anoint you to reach out to them. He wants to empower you, equip you to do the things that you think you can't even do. The Bible says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you not just oh I get better now because I, I just get better no power from the Holy Spirit equips you supernaturally to do amazing things and empowers you to be more bold it gives you the truth of God even more God. Lord God we just, we just take this time God and we just consecrate it to you Lord and this altar right now God which people are about to come up in a few seconds God We consecrate it to you, Lord. We say, Lord, you are more than enough, God, to equip us, God. And if we have not uh, adhered to your truth, God, let us be in alignment today, God. Let us discover our purpose. Let us discover today, God, your truth today, Lord. You are more than enough, God. Yes, Lord, hallelujah. If you want to receive prayer, you may come up now and just come up. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. If you have friends that you've been witnessing to, and this is the time. This is the place today, right now. Come up and just receive prayer for them as well. Start to be an intercession for your friends.